You have reached your destination. No, we haven't. We're supposed to be in the middle of London. You have reached your destination. Oh, stop saying that. She's only saying it because it's true. We are in the middle of London. We are in the middle of a forest. You've heard of leaves on the line. This is going to be slightly harder to clear. Come on, team, let's do this. We will if you stop calling us a team. Get back. There are very good, solid scientific reasons for being really quite frightened just now. The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I'm Kyle Jones, and if you're listening to us, you probably have not figured out or probably don't know that it's been a few weeks since we recorded. It seems like we were playing a game and maybe a game all over the world. And who better to talk about a game all over the world or maybe even world games? None other than Lee Shackelford, Mr. Shackelford. How is that for an interesting that's, inter, uh, introduction? Yeah, I keep wanting to say that's the most convoluted introduction you've ever done. And then, you, then you'll top it. It's amazing. Oh, yes. You, you've learned over the years. Don't challenge me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So for everyone listening that does not know what I was talking about, you have been busy. I have. I have. The World Games, the International World Games in Birmingham, Alabama. And it is a big deal, the World Games. But I, from the very beginning of my involvement with this project, whenever I've said anything about it, people have said, what's the World Games? So I think I think it the whole thing must be better known in the rest of the world than it is here. It, they haven't been held in the United States in 40 years. But of all things, when they finally came back to the U.S., they came to my hometown of Birmingham, Alabama. There was a need to write special material for the announcements relevant to Birmingham. And I'm, you know, I, I've tried to position myself as being Birmingham's official playwright, you know. So they called on me to do it. And somewhere along the way, um, when we got to the closing ceremony, I was, uh, you know, in meetings reading aloud lines that I had written for the closing ceremony and uh, they said you know what we should just have him do it so i ended up announcing the international world games closing ceremony which is thrilling and um a very satisfying experience but um yeah put that on my voice acting resume by golly so let me just say it may have been a rewarding experience for you but for me listening Watching that opening of the or the closing of the World Games, who, you know, and this is whoever these announcers were, no offense to them, but whoever was announcing on television, I was just wanting to scream, shut up, <laughs> because I wanted to hear you because well, I could hear you. Yeah. And it, it was funny. Um, the TV color commentators and several people have said, you guys should have gotten your acts together. Well, I didn't even know they were there until seeing the replay in the stadium, people could not hear them. They were solely talking to the TV audience. And I was talking to the people who were there live, which I think is something like 15,000 people. Just let me say, you know, again, no offense to them, 
but you sounded a hell of a lot better than they did. Just it's, it's two different things. I really admired what they did. They Their job was to just fill all dead air, right? Just to, just to keep talking. And I really admired that, that they kept, they kept up that stream of, uh, of meaningful patter. And, um, and I, I was just there to say, and now this is going to happen <laughs> or something like that. So, well, uh, well you know, I give them that, yeah, I give them yeah. that. And I'm, I am honestly just joking about that. There was a, and I know, you know, I'm just digging myself into a deeper hole, <laughs> but pride goes before the fall, et cetera. Yes. But I promise you there was a little bit of me or there was a lot of me that was sitting there going, I know him. I know him. I know that voice. I know him. I know him. Well, so. my wife said it was just strange for her, just weird. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's saying, I certainly know that voice. That's how odd. <laughs> I don't usually hear him thundering over loudspeakers talking to thousands of people like that. So. But you said how odd. Well, I want to say something else that is how odd. We're into the podcast. We're doing our introductions. And seems like a couple of episodes back, you and Clarence did an episode one-on-one, the two of you, without me. So this week, this episode, I think Clarence got lost somewhere in the forest. Mm. Yeah, I hope not. Yeah. Agreed. We're going into the finale of this series Mm. that Clarence will be back with us very, (laughs) very soon. Well, Lee, I do know that there is something that you like to tell people, whether it's the first time or whether they have been with us from the very beginning. And what is that? Always. We just like to say thank you for joining us. You know, you got a lot of things you could be doing with your time and you've chosen to spend it with us. So thank you very much. Indeed, indeed. Well, before we move on, I do have a few items of note. We have talked about the World Games. I wanted to mention really quick, we're coming off as of this recording, a huge weekend of San Diego Comic-Con. There is news left, right, and center from Star Trek to comics to TV to, you know, all these different mediums. I will just say for anyone listening, if you have not seen the Wakanda Forever trailer, go out and watch it. It's awesome. Have you seen it? I have not. Um, Like I say, I've been uh, basically uh, sleeping most of the day. So uh, I've got a lot of things like that to catch up on. And uh, that will be a pleasure. I will say this. Angela Bassett, just from her (laughs) trailer alone, I think she deserves an Oscar just from that trailer. There's a, there's a well, line that she delivers in that that just, oh, it just, it, even thinking about it gives me goosebumps. Wow. So Love it. So, awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, the other thing that I really want to mention real quickly is we did a, ep- or we did an episode recently that I called The Blessed Stones, and we have some feedback from our friend Bill L., He says, so good you had a good meeting with Brian. Good job remembering the fancy Italian shoes from (laughs) Zed Cars. I'm sure you warmed his heart that you remembered so far back. Stay safe and thanks for always being good company. Oh, what a what a nice, nice bit of feedback. Yeah, he did. He absolutely lit up when I when I referenced a fancy Smith to him. And so, um, yeah, I'm glad I did that. Let's go ahead and get right into the reason that we are here tonight in the forest of the night. So, if you have not seen In the Forest of the Night, 
Put us on pause. Go out. Watch the episode. Come back. Because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Affirmative. Spoilers. Spoilers? What spoilers? And I killed Sparky, too. (laughs) Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review In the Forest of the Night. This is the 10th episode of the 2014 series of Doctor Who, first airing on the 25th of October, 2014. It starred Peter Capaldi as the 12th Doctor, Jenna Coleman as Clara Oswald, and Samuel Anderson as Danny Pink. It features the final unnamed appearance of Michelle Gomez's mystery character. Summary view, Lee Shackelford, what did you think of this episode? When we watched the previous episode and I got to the next time trailer, I watched that with my mouth open because I was saying, what is this? I didn't remember this episode at all. And and now that I watched it, I'm wondering, have I ever seen this? I don't know what would have happened. But um, anyway, um, now I've seen it. <laughs> but what a strange experience that was. Anyway, there were a lot of things about it that I really loved. Some things that really bugged me, um, as with anything else. But uh, generally, I really enjoyed it. So how about you? I did remember it, but not in a good Mm. way, unfortunately. I remembered it probably for the thing that bugged you. And I'm curious (laughs) to get into what bugged you. I will say that there is a lot of great aerial scenes, whether it is computer generated or whatever the case may be. The concept, you know, it seems simple. I love the greenery. You know, I love the play with the characters, but I really don't think it went anywhere. Literally. I think I want to get into this. So let's talk about this idea of the forest taking over the world Mm. and in a protective way from a point of plot device. What do you think of that? Well, I'm trying to figure out how to talk about this without being spoilery about um, my, uh, radio drama serial, but I was watching it and wondering if the reason I didn't remember this episode was because I blocked it out. Because there are aspects of this story and concept that are very similar to things that are in relativity. This does happen to people, you know, we we, we, we store things in our minds subconsciously. And then, you know, a lot of times people in different parts of the world, different times and so on, they have exactly the same idea. You know, that happens. Sometimes we unconsciously borrow from other things or whatever. But anyway, so that's what I kept thinking about was, oh my golly, that's, that's relativity. <laughs> but, and, and this episode would have aired before I started writing that. So uh, there you go. One of the things that I love about the film of Logan's Run is um, the Washington DC that's been taken over by trees which is mostly paintings by the great um, Matt Urikish and um, the Capitol Dome with vines all over it and the Lincoln Memorial. And you can barely see him because he's got stuff growing all over him and so on. Uh, th- those are things that you don't forget when you've seen them. And so I-, I wonder if that was one of the inspirations here that because we got to see Trafalgar Square all covered, that's uh, for-, for people in England, that would be like our shock of seeing Washington so unfamiliar. Um I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts about the the forest? You, you know, I like 
the fact that they went in a direction to where the things that we so often destroy are the things that are the protectors, even so much so that we see what is humanity's first idea with the trees that are being overgrown. Let's cut them down. Let's burn them. You know, it's you, you immediately and even the doctor immediately assumed a negative, you know, assumed that something was attacking. And I like the fact that this was a almost subliminal, maybe, and it maybe it was not less subliminal than I'm giving it credit for, but it wasn't an in-your-face environmental episode. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. Everything's topsy-turvy, so it must be bad. Yeah. And, and everybody makes that assumption, including the doctor. And so it's not until late in the story before he realizes this is the forest saving us. This is the, 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 <laughs> our planet's forest coming to our rescue. That had just not occurred to anybody. So let's go to the beginning of the episode, and we see Clara and Danny, and they are in a museum. They are with a co-ed school group. And they've basically spent the night in this, you know, place that they're at. My first thought of is, in America, I don't think you would ever have an overnight class trip in, am I I right in that? Mm. Or is this maybe something that I'm just, because I don't have kids, unaware of? Well, um, isn't that interesting that I, no, I hosted many um, lock-ins at the YMCA and things like that. in my youth minister days. And um, yeah, I never, but see, I, but see that was church, church but still, I, um, I don't know. I never gave it a second thought. So that's, that's an interesting point. You know, I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I just thought yeah. that that was odd that you've got kids in school. Mm-hmm. And, and again, please saying n- no problem with right. it at yeah, all, but, it, but I just, interesting question. just found it odd. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's about, Maybe there's a cutoff. There's an age at which you stop doing that because um, I know that uh, at the university that I uh, that I teach for, when we send kids off on on you know overnight trips or whatever, they're segregated by gender. The simple kids will be kids, and certain age kids will be certain age mm-hmm. kids. But we get into this furtherance of. Clara and the doctor and Clara and Danny, Mm. and it all starts coming and coalescing together. And we finally get the cat is out of the bag and Danny just lays it out and is basically, I know what's going on. Mm. What was your thought about that? That we finally come out with those books, you know, the grading books, (laughs) and she's still trying to cover it up. Thoughts. Yeah, she had she had previously graded things that weren't due until today. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, busted, and she can't get out of it. And we we knew it was coming. You can't uh, lie like that forever. You know, Mark Twain said that if we all told the truth, nobody would ever have to remember anything. Oh, she, that's a good one. <laughs> well, Mark Twain, right? But but yeah, you ha- you have to think the sheer load of details that she's been holding in her head. <laughs> <laughs> that she can tell one of them some of these things and she's withholding this from that one and so on. Yeah, it's going to come apart at some point and it finally does. 
then you know the the result is that uh, Danny kisses her in front of all the kids. You know, it's just it, it feels like a happy ending. I want to go back a little bit further, and I, I want to talk about Clara's motivation mm. because I know that you know we we saw with Kill the Moon, you had this explosive confrontation with the doctor and Clara and they go their semi separate ways. And then you have Danny being very supportive and saying, come tell me that when you're not angry. So Mm -hmm. to him, there's still that connection with her and the doctor. I, I don't understand Clara's reasoning slash motivation for pretending and setting up this pretense that she's not traveling with the doctor anymore. Did you ever get a feeling of why she did that? The the way I've experienced it as we've watched it through this time is that that happened by accident, that she was trying to be cool with both of them. She doesn't want to admit how involved she is with Danny. So she, she, she tells a little white lie to the doctor about it. But so Danny's a little possessive about that. So she tells him a little white lie and you know, Shakespeare's right. What a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive, right? Ah, <laughs> you know, once makes that makes right? sense. Once you've started it, you've got to pile on another lie and another one. And yeah, it's just gotten to be more than she can handle. That makes perfect sense. I really think that's what that's what is supposed to have happened here. Let me ask you this. Let's hmm. switch it away from the doctor and Danny Clara, and let's talk about the kids specifically. Hmm. Mabe, what did you think of her story? And let's talk about her entire story, but I want to hold off to that that final scene with her and her mom when they come home. I want to save that for a minute. <laughs> but just Mabe and her mother and her, those interactions, thoughts. When we first see her, she is in a red hooded jacket and she will eventually be in the forest with a wolf. And we talk about how the the woods, the forests, have become part of our primal memory and how we've had these experiences with the forest over the eons, but we don't remember them consciously. We we sublimate them into our our folktales. I, I, so that's an aspect of this script that I really like because I think that's true. But when we first see her, or as we see her at some points in the story, she's Little Red Riding Hood in the forest with a wolf. Then that's that's fabulous. I just think that's terrific. You know, she sees fairies, <laughs> Tinkerbell. <laughs> yeah, and they're represented as being like uh, Disney's Tinkerbell, and they're it's all there. I took it in another way. I love the fact that you went to the literary and the fantastical of it. I took it more so in the direction of we so immediately try to take what may be a different perception and in some cases medicate it Mm. to not well the word tone it down is not what i mean but to dampen it and that was what i took away from that was yes she may have needed her medication and i and they didn't really say why she needed her medication but i just got the idea of that everyone's thinking that there's something wrong with this little girl when in fact what she's chasing from her face are the fairies, you know, that they're flying around talking to her. She's not crazy is basically where I'm going. Right. 
you make me wonder if you've ever seen Sir Ken Robinson's TED Talk. It's one of the most uh, popular TED Talks uh, of all time. No, um, but you're going to send me the link and I'll put I, it in the I show am notes. I indeed. He, um, he passed a couple of years ago. I was sorry to see him go. He, I just thought he was a, a great man and a champion of, of education. And one of his axes to grind always was that we're, we're teaching the wrong things. We're trying to, to make everybody come out the same. And his way of putting it was that we're, we're trying to create a, a generation of university professors. That's not what everybody's cut out for. So he, he loved to tell the story about the little girl who, who couldn't sit still in class and was always moving. And the teachers were just, you know, um, at their wits end because the, the girl would not sit still. And her mother took her to a doctor. And the goal was to try to find her some medication that would get her to sit down. And uh, the doctor had a hunch and he asked mom to go out into the hall and he left the radio playing. And as soon as she was alone, the little girl, you know, they were looking in through the door and she's dancing. And he said, here's her problem. She doesn't need medication. She needs dance school. And I've forgotten the girl's name now, but she grew up to be one of uh, the great uh, choreographers and dance instructors of our time. And there's that one little decision of that doctor. Somebody else would have loaded her down with medications and made her stop being who she was. Bingo. And, and, you, and you hit perfectly on the point I, I was trying to make. That's why I you know, there is Good. Thank you. You know, it reminds me there is a comedy on ABC in the U.S. that I have watched. And I, I'm not a big comedy watcher, especially something that is a new show. But it was a show called or is a show called Abbott Elementary. Hmm. And there was an episode where one of the teachers could not get the kids to do what she was wanting them to do. And another teacher made the reference. You see that kid over there? Blah, 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 blah. That that kid is an artist. Or you see that kid over there? That kid dancer or, so, you know, that same thing that you just described. Yeah. They, you know, use that. And I think that is cool. Absolutely. Jillian Lynn was the name of the dancer. I was trying to remember. Jillian ah, cool. Anyway. So let's talk for a minute. I want to get your thoughts on Maeve's mom. What did you think of how she fit into the story? Or did she fit into the story? Well, this is an episode with a big cast. So I guess I'm thinking kind of practically here. We can't see all these kids' parents. But all of these kids' parents are really important to them. That's supported in the dialogue. And in the end, the kids have the opportunity to escape the coming catastrophe, but really they just want to go home. They want to go home to where their moms and dads are. And and I think it's important to see at least one of them, maybe hear from some of the others, you know. I think we needed to see somebody's mom, and it's it, it makes sense that it would be Maeve's. Hmm. That, that's, that's how I read that. View, but awkward. Her scenes for me, uh, and again, I'm coming at the point of view from someone who doesn't have kids, so maybe that changes my perception a bit. That said, I felt like we could have done without, mm. you know, maybe we could have had several of the kids, you know, getting their phones and calling their parents mm -hmm. at the end or maybe see several parents calling each other but the focus on her mom and her mom going out so far as to tr and maybe it was the fact of she was trying she went out to find her that just felt like why aren't we seeing other parents mm -hmm. coming out trying to find their kids yeah. 
I guess that's what I was thinking. I, I felt somehow that they probably were, but you know, we, we, but we just, didn't yeah, see we it. can't see them all. So, so what about the kids themselves other than Maeve? Any thoughts that you had, any takeaway from the kids themselves? I thought they were a good cross section of what you would expect from any of us when we're that age. Danny is um, um, a good soldier. Uh, he, he's just, he is on task and he's, he's relentless. He's not going to abandon them, uh, you know, physically or emotionally. He's connected to, to each and every one of them. And I, and he understands how different they are. And I, I really admired that. I realize that's more about Danny than about the kids, but the kids had to be demonstrated to be different for us to be able to make that point about Danny. Hmm. Months ago now, but probably five or six episodes of discussing who back me, you, Clarence, and our friend Shannon sat down and recorded about our top five new Who companions. No one in the group, even at least verbally, contemplated or mentioned or brought up, however you want to put it, Danny. No one mentioned him. Hmm. Yeah, I guess he, he's a little like um, some other people who were in the TARDIS a couple of times, you know, that we, we always wonder if they're you know, do you consider the brigadier a companion? That kind of thing. True. So, yeah. In this episode, the doctor is still insisting that Danny is the PE teacher, which is clearly yes. intended to be an insult, you know. And we apologize to PE teachers everywhere. Everywhere, exactly. Yeah. But but for the doctor, you know, the doctor said it. Mm -hmm. The doctor, as you said, intended it to be an insult. Right. And he's still doing it. So, uh, yep. <laughs> Indeed. I do say that this was a bookend to the episode with Clara and the doctor of you go away, doctor, and don't come back. Mm -hmm. It's reversed. And he is saying, I breathe your air. I, I stay on this planet. He, you know, he's choosing to stay as she's telling him, go save yourself. So I did like that interaction because it was reversed. And I thought that was cool. Mm -hmm. But my question is, before we get to the end, because I really don't have a lot of notes for this episode, are there any other topics that you had before we get into this other thing that I want to talk about? Mm, some some references that I thought were, were nice, some things to connect. I, as an Anglophile who's, who's been to uh, England many times now, uh, I always think... Um, but they can't surprise me. But the joke about Monty Don, I did not get. Um, Danny says, you know, I can't believe you, you called the doctor. And she says, who am I supposed to call, Monty Don? So I had to look him up. He he is the host of a show called Gardener's World on the BBC. So that's the joke. You want me to call the host of Gardener's World about the forest that's taken over the earth? <laughs> so that's good. <laughs> Which makes it so much sense if you lived in the UK. That's right. So that was a joke for, for them and not for us. Um, she says you to the doctor, you've got a TARDIS. All we've got are oyster cards. I wonder how many people over here know what an oyster oyster card is. Um, I um, The first time I, I was issued one, um, I was given it in a little wallet. And so that opened and closed like a clamshell. And so I said, oh, oyster cards. That's why they're called that. It's, it's an electronic pass you use on the underground. Mm, okay. And it can be recharged, you know, from your account uh, very quickly and very easily. So it is a super fast way of, uh, you know, getting through the turnstile and everything. But um, so, but it, that's sort of a, uh, 
reverse engineer explanation that I had this clamshell um, to carry mine in. I thought, oh, that's why they're called oyster cards. No, they're called oysters like in uh, Shakespeare's line in uh, Merry Wives of Windsor. Oh, the world's my oyster, which I will with my sword open. Um, it's well, once you've got this card, you can go anywhere. So it's oyster in that sense. The world is your oyster because you have that card. Um, but yeah, so again, Cleric says that and we understand that they're uh, a local audience will get that. Um, the title, you know, um, when you say Forest of the Night, I automatically say Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright in the Forest of the Night. That's William Blake's um, poem, The Tiger. And I wonder if, I don't know, there, there may be something deeper about that that, um, we're, that we're going for here because William Blake's set of poems are wondering about God's creation. And so he marvels at the tiger, which is such a destructive force. And he's, and so Blake is pondering, did the same, you know, personality that made this also make me? Did he, did he also make the, the, the gentle lamb? How is this possible? You know? And to me, that's like, oh, the, the forest has taken over the world. It must be a terrible thing. No, actually, it's a good thing. So I don't know that that, that may be reading too much into it, but, uh, but I did think that was interesting. You know, instead of having the wolf that we saw, mm. I think it would have been really cool if you would have had a, it, you couldn't have explained it maybe unless you said, oh, well, it got out of a zoo mm -hmm. or something to that effect, but have had a tiger instead. Oh, you should look at the episode again. There is a tiger. Oh. Okay. Yeah, it's it's well. not on screen for very long, but that's what Danny scares away with the, the kid's super bright flashlight. Yeah, and and it did, in fact, escape from the zoo. Mm -hmm. So they said... You said something about not on the screen very long. Mm. Do you know anything about the bus that we see in the forest? Um, no, just that um, it's alarming to see a double-decker bus having a tree grow right under it. Anything else about the tree? I should know. Oh, I mean, the, the bus. Well, nothing know. about the well, nothing about the tree. You are correct, yeah. but you you have to. And I meant to write it down. But I did not, because I went and freeze-framed until I could freeze it, and I actually took a picture of mm. it. That said, in that episode, when you see the bus, they have a image, or there is an image of an advertisement, basically, for Doctor Who, because you see Peter Capaldi <laughs> and you see a little bit of Jenna Coleman, but it it is a an ad. It doesn't say Doctor Who, right. but it is you know him, and it's a cutout of a you know they couldn't well they didn't choose to spend to get the bus in there and do all that, so it's actually a cutout, but very realistic looking cutout, <laughs> and it does have the Doctor oh, looking man. at the TV show Doctor. Man. I just thought that was. I got to look back at that, yeah, because all those buses do indeed have giant ads on their side, and it has to be something. Yeah. And whenever I read it, I didn't believe that. Mm -hmm. That's why I did the freeze <laughs> frame. And I promise you, it's not something I just read. I actually went and found it, and it is there. I have the the screenshot That's proof. Fun. Everybody, go look for that. Yes, indeed. Uh, going through this episode this time, I noticed, uh, I did not, well, I, like I said, I hadn't seen it before, but I did watch it twice here. Second time around, I caught that Ruby asks Danny, why can't we just wait here until they're gone? And Danny says, well, because trees don't just disappear, Ruby. And she says, they just came. Why wouldn't they just go? So once you've seen the episode, you go, well, she's right. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes and little children. 
It's wonderful. You know what I thought whenever I saw that? Mm. How often do we take our perceptions over time? And I'm meaning we as a society. Yeah, yeah. We take perceptions of children who are very perceptive and see things not because they think that they should or shouldn't see them, but just because they maybe can and tell them, hmm, no, you didn't see that. No, no, that's not what you see. Oh, no, blah, blah. Absolutely. Oh, no, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, Maeve is, uh, is just, you know, not to perturbed by the interior dimensions of the TARDIS at all. It's, it's, that's sort of the same thing. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> I get so much stuff thrown at me in this day and age that I just, you know, yep. It's bigger on the inside. Okay. Yeah. And one of my favorite lines of the entire one, and I'm sitting here talking to you with a cherry Coke right. in my hand. So, <laughs> but when the doctor says, you know, it's sort of like a, you know, when you drink a glass of Coke, there's uh, something about the Coke and a, but the sh amount of sugar is astronomically right. <laughs> bigger or something. Yep. Coke is bigger on the inside. Indeed. Indeed. I have one other thing on my list that I want to talk about. Me too. And I'll bet you it's the same thing. Oh, was it the ending? Yes. Go first. What did you think? Well, my sentence that I wrote in my notes is this. The return of Annabelle is so utterly gratuitous that it has no meaning whatsoever. I wish there'd been another way to tie off that loose end. If I knew it would not create a feedback with me clapping, mm. imagine anyone listening, I'm clapping because I agree with you a million percent. Yeah. This, to me took anything that was great about this episode so far and gave me just the really feeling. Yeah. And we don't, we don't wish for the missing girl to be lost forever. That's, but that is what happens. I just bringing her back by magic, just, it feels so stuck on. So, um, artificial. You said it perfect. Yeah, it's just yeah, stuck on. It's, it's stuck just, on. Yeah. It's, but, we don't address, we don't know why did she leave. That's right. No. We we don't even address that. We know she left. We don't know how she left. We don't know what circumstance she left. <clears throat> Whatever the case may be, she's hiding behind this bush that <laughs> disappears. Yeah. If I was her and this bush just come and took me from somewhere, I'd have been freaking out. The last thing I would be doing <laughs> is just like squatting down behind the bush going surprise oh yeah <laughs> yes that seems, that seems yeah seems, just seems cruel yes yeah and cruel for the people watching and it makes me wonder if this script wasn't 90 pages long at one point and it just started cutting things out until you know it'll fit in the episode and then a lot of this exposition got lost because the the what we're calling a tinkerbell um i think in this in the script they're called the here that we're, we're here, that they, that her, Annabelle's disappearance is related to them. And that's why Maeve, why they talk to Maeve. And that's why she is drawn to the TARDIS. So that's what starts the whole adventure. Um, and the doctor doesn't understand that his, um, his Tom Tom is telling him you're in London and he can look out and say, no, I'm not, but he is. And Maeve has to come and get help from him. It's Yeah. That's all supposed to be connected, but it's so tenuous. I, I, I had watched this twice before. I said, oh, that's why she went to him in the first place, because I guess, sort of, <laughs> uh, I don't know. 
You know, I think we could have done without this disappearing sister. I think it would have been a stronger episode yeah. if you would have had one of the children, maybe even the all the children, perceptive to these sprites or whatever, you know, fairies mm-hmm. or whatever. And then just do away with this subplot of the sister. Because again, at the end, I, I'm like you. I felt like that, for me, that's the only thing about this episode that I continuously mem- remember is just being almost disgusted at the end of the gratuitous nature of it. Yep. So, yep. So with that said, before we go down <laughs> a rabbit hole there... Let us go to our favorite quote. Mm. Lee Shackelford, favorite quote. What What was your favorite quote? It's the here. I love that when we can hear from them, they say, we are the green shoots that grow between the cracks, the grass that grows over the mass graves. After your wars are over, we will still be here. We are the life that prevails. It's lovely. It is indeed lovely. This is one of the times that I've, Wish Clarence was here so I could hear him go, oh, God. <laughs> so just imagine him saying, after I say this, oh, God, here we go. So my favorite quote is, now, that was surprising, and I love surprises. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, God. God. And, <laughs> and it, So that's my favorite quote. It is an interesting line read. Does she love surprises? I think she does. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's. I think what the, the subtext I got was curses foiled again. Oh God! Mm. I love separate. I don't know. It's it's ambiguous. I love it. I mean, please try to keep up. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's the mystery woman. That's right. She cur- certainly couldn't say anything else. Now, could she? No, no. She has to say something nice. Be mysterious. Yeah. Indeed. So, speaking of saying something nice, my favorite scene, yes. the woman in the room. That's it. Okay. That's my favorite scene. It's not a scene, it's a line. Anyway, my favorite scene. No, it isn't. <laughs> they never said the woman was in the room. She never said, hi, I'm woman in the room. She, she said something She's just else. there. Yeah. She's just there, but that was my favorite scene. If it isn't scene. a scene, you can't shoot it. You're right. There, it, thank yes. you, sir. My favorite scene, though, was mine was Danny and Clara, the whole business of them deciding to stay with their loved ones rather than escape with the doctor. And it ends with Danny and Clara kissing in front of the kids. And the kids cheer, you know. They could have gone, eh, but they're all happy. So I love that. And it's sort of a bookend for that, you know, uh, Squatty at the beginning yes. and Squatty and Miss and, and Miss Oswald. Right. And, you Squatty know. loves Ozzy. Yes. All right, final rating. Mr. Shackelford, what say ye? Final rating. Once we're up on our feet and we're clapping, and then this script comes along, it kicks us in the shin. Uh, it's like, hey, I was enjoying this episode until this last moment. So I, I, I got to bust it a whole point just for that, but I really enjoyed it otherwise. So I give it four tigers burning bright in the forest of the night. Mm, four. Yeah. I will say that my original rating, and I'm going to give you my original rating, but before I talked to you and you talked me up on my rating, <laughs> I was originally going to give it 2.4 because I totally disliked that 
ending so badly. That said, you've reminded me of some great aspects of this episode, of this story. So I'm going to give it a little bit lower still, but 3.5. And I know this is a surprise, but it's surprises from the mystery woman out of five. Mr. Shackelford, this has been a complete pleasure. We don't get to go one-on-one often. And while I wish Clarence could be here, I did totally enjoy doing this with you. Likewise, likewise. I just uh, hope he's going to be be back with us next time. Yes, because we're getting into that two-part finale. Uh-huh. And I absolutely cannot wait. That said, for everyone listening, let us know what you thought of this episode. Did you enjoy it as much as we did? Did you not enjoy it? Let us know. And as always, we will be back next time. You've been listening to The Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com. 